Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. And um, I love the ocean, and the sunsets are my favorite. Yeah. Um, we have beautiful sunrises and sunsets here. And I'm so old, I get up really early and I watch the sunrise every morning. Mm-hmm. And we live in one of our vineyards, we're blessed to live there. So I watch the sunrise and even last night uh, with the sun setting and like the light cirrus clouds up above us, the whole sky turned orange. And it's like, wow, wow. It's an everyday thing for us and it's spectacular. So here's the testimony of someone that lives here mm-hmm. and you never get used to it. No. It's that special. And then uh, occasionally you hear people that live here um, complain about the tourists. <laughs> it's like, we'll move somewhere else then. Yeah. Because we rely on the tourists to keep everything going and keep our whole Napa Valley thing uh, current and relevant. And the Napa Valley Vintners does a great job at promoting the Napa Valley. Love the Vintners. Yes. Um, but. If you don't like the tourists, then you should leave. Yeah. I hate to sound harsh, but that's the way it is. And part of my word fun again is when people are here, they're having fun. Yes. They're on vacation. They're drinking great wine. They're having great food. They're with family and friends. And that's contagious. Yes. And perfect example is Yauntville. Is, uh, it's like an amazing place. It is. It's like a Disneyland for foodies and wine geeks. It is. And then um, I laugh hard at my son, Tommy, our son. He's worked at uh, a couple different wineries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in our vineyard, which I mentioned. So he would live at our home and then work at a winery in Ch- Childs Valley. And then he would do all his stuff in Yonville. Mm-hmm. So it's... He would joke, it's like he lives in like this Disneyland. So yeah. he gets to work in nature, work in a vineyard, help make wine, um, eat in Yonville, go to the bank in Yonville, get gas, and uh, didn't realize how gorgeous and beautiful it is until you leave. So we live in a truly special place, whether it's our weather, our topography, our uh, grape growing, our wines, restaurants, tourism, it's, it's a great place. I sometimes compare Napa to New Zealand. I know it sounds odd, but it's a couple islands that are magical. And people that grow up there, they leave. They usually go to Australia. They always come right. back. Right. And Napa's kind of like it. You know, when you're younger and you want, you know, more action, you right. leave the place, but you always come back. Because, yes, there's something so magical about it that, I mean, I have withdrawals when I'm not in Napa for like a couple of weeks. I do too. And that's back to my travels, you know, go out and sell my wine and see friends and then every time I come back it's a it's a great feeling. So we have this beautiful portfolio of wines in front of us and I've been secretly not so secretly on camera of course um, sipping Sauvignon Blanc which I absolutely love it's one of my favorites from the valley. Mine too. Um, so I'm so excited to run through it and have great. you tell little stories about the bottles that we have. Great so uh, Sauvignon Blanc um, we love our Sauvignon Blanc. Um, Napa is known for Cabernet, indeed, which we love too. But it's um, it's like a more serious wine, Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Um, it ages a lot longer. Different ways of fermenting it, barrel aging it, finishing it, 
all that stuff before it even goes through the aging process. But Sauvignon Blanc for us, it's obviously white wine. Um, it's the first wine we release and sell from each vintage. Mm-hmm. Um, back to my word of fun, I think this is a really fun wine. It is. It's uh, really easy to drink, it's festive. You can drink it on its own, goes with lots of different food, um, and it's great. Uh, ours is pretty unique. It's Rutherford Appalachian. Mm-hmm. So not only is it from the Napa Valley, it's from our sub-appalachian of Rutherford. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other wineries, I'm probably wrong on this, but um, Honig makes a Rutherford. They do. And I love their wines. Great winery. Love their Sauvignon Blanc. They make a bunch of it, too. Um, and then Round Pond makes a really nice one, too. Mm-hmm. And I think St. Supery might make a Rutherford. They do, Maybe. I believe. Yeah. And you just mentioned some of my favorites, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And those um, love all those wineries. So, yeah, we really like our Sauvignon Blanc. So we blend some Semillon, which we grow, too. Um, and we grow the bulk of the grapes for our Sauvignon Blanc in our vineyard here at the winery. And then we have a, a vineyard down on... Galeron Lane called our Bomberito Vineyard. Oh. So we grow the Sauvignon Blanc there. And Semillon is a really important addition. It is. When you guys think of a classic white Bordeaux blend, it's usually almost 50-50, Semillon and Semillon. Right. So our winemaker, Jason, um, has worked in Bordeaux. Yeah. So I think that was part of the plan. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, ours is really good. Really good. It has the body. It has really the texture that I'm looking for in a wine. It's very complete. But yet, it, there's that fun element to yeah. it. That it, really it gets a little oak during fermentation. Yeah. So it gives it some weight in the mid palate and yeah. another element of uh, texture, of course, mm-hmm. and um, makes it a little bit more interesting. Find a lot of times people will say, I don't like oak at all in my white wine. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it doesn't taste woody. It just yeah. adds this other element of complexity to exactly. it. Exactly. I just want to point out that Rutherford, of course, is known harking back to Andrzej Chalicha for that famous dust. So sure. people associate Rutherford Appalachian with red wines. Sure. But in my humble opinion, it has some of the best Sauvignon Blanc I've ever had in my life. Agreed. Um, and then a lot of the white wine in Napa is going away because yeah. everyone plants Cabernet. Economic reality, probably, it, large part. It but. is. And so it makes us more unique to have mm. this Sauvignon Blanc, especially Rutherford sub-Appalachian. Mm-hmm. And pricing on Sauvignon Blanc is all over the map right now from now. Yeah. So back to the um, temptation to drastically increase the price. I'm quite curious if I may meander for a moment because traditionally speaking, red wines get higher scores, they command higher price points. White wines, and specifically Sauvignon Blanc, it's a pain point for me because I love the variety never quite gets a recognition in the marketplace and dollar-wise. It never gets priced right. compatibly with other varieties, even Chardonnay. What is, what say you about that? Uh, I think a lot of it's the, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think a lot of it, back to pertaining to Napa, is just the mystique of Cabernet mm-hmm. and okay. its ageability. Perception, yes. Yeah, and bigger and bolder. Mm-hmm. And more dramatic, maybe? Ah. Um, if that answers the question. No, no, I'm curious because, you know, you're in the marketplace all the time. Right. So you do market visits. I'm sure it comes up in some ways. It does. And then the other thing I hear all the time, it's like, I only like red wine. I don't drink white wine. Yeah. And then I'm a wise guy. So it's like, <laughs> okay, you're missing out then. Yeah. 
because there's great white wine from all over the world and great red wine. But Cabernet is king in Napa, so I think it that's is. ultimately what it... It's the identity. And, it yeah, is. This, I just wish um, that more people would realize just how much value there is in the other Sauvignon. If you really kind of delve into that space, you realize it's such a pleasurable but also meaningful experience. Anyway. Yeah, and everyone's palate's different. Yeah. So it's a subjective thing as opposed to being objective. And as long as people like the wine and they have their own patterns, but I always uh, encourage people to try other varieties and try other wine, as much as I like to buy Whitehall Lane, but try other wineries. And that's why back to our Napa camaraderie, there's a whole group of us yeah. that have uh, similar ideals and views on Napa and we send customers to each other. I think that's absolutely fascinating. It's pretty fun. I've always been a believer that don't worry about a single slice, worry about the size of the pie and try to increase it. Mm -hmm. That's my business philosophy of what it's worth. And you're describing a dynamic that's very similar to that. Right. So clearly there's that competitive side in terms of, you know, it's a survival thing. There's dollars, there's, again, those economics that have to work. Yep. Yet there's such willingness to share and to send people mm -hmm. to what technically could be considered a competitor because you realize that they have a different interpretation of the grape or any other aspects yeah. of the business. So why be selfish? Why be territorial? Agreed. And that's where that fine balance comes in because all of us together are here to promote the Napa Valley, mm -hmm. yet we are competitors. Yeah. And then this is where the Napa Valley Vintners comes in too, mm -hmm. which I think is a great group and I've spent a lot of time working with them. Yeah. And um, we have our trade event coming up in February, Premier Napa Valley. Yes, it's a fantastic event. Unfortunately, not open to public, but... Right, um, and then there is a public version, the auction Napa Valley in June, but I, I personally participate more in Premier Napa Valley, which is for the trade, but people come in from the whole world. Yeah. And uh, it's a crazy week here. Because... <laughs> Exciting. Oh, it's great, it's fun. And so I kind of view it as like I'm on a work trip that week. I don't yeah. know what time I'm going to start. I don't know what time I'm going to end. And I'll go to numerous places in between. But we all get together and promote Napa Valley. Yeah. And it's great. And then the barrel tasting auction, which is at the CIA, mm -hmm. that's the only time when that many wineries from Napa are in the same room. I think that's 175. Or something like that? Uh, yeah, up there, maybe more. Now they're doing an E E lot thing, but we all get together and we're all in one room and it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I think it's such a showcase of, you know, peers kind of showing off a little bit, creating yep. these unique blends, but also that camaraderie. There it's is. Really there. You see people walking around, not just trade, but winemakers tasting each other's wines, having this insight kind of a conversations about what it is and what it, you know, and what it really means. And it, it, you literally feel like you're in the thick of what the heart of Napa Valley is. Agreed. And then um, the hardest part of that day for me is I see lots of my friends yep. that I don't see all the time. And I see a lot of people on the road traveling, Napa winery people. And then suddenly we're all in the same place. And then we have our top wine buyers from the whole world too. Of so you want to juggle your friends and promote your own wine and sell your own wine. So it's an action-packed week it is. and day. 
It's great. And those wines eventually are available to public. There's a lag time because this is a barrel auction, so the wines will be in a barrel then subsequently in a bottle. But, you know, the price points typically are pretty high because those are unique lots. They're made in 5, 10, and 20 case lots. But you do get to participate and don't look at it as, oh my God, this bottle costs so much more than the regular bottling. It really is something that's very unique, very different. You know, it's not commercially available. It's true. So you get maybe a piece of that spirit. You get to experience it through purchasing a bottle if you can find it. It is. And then... um all the proceeds, all the money made at the auction goes to the Napa Valley vendors. Yes. And then they uh, protect our Napa name, mm-hmm. our appellation, our image, and they constantly work on that and travel the globe to promote Napa. And then it really helps us. Mm-hmm. And then um, also owning a bunch of vineyards, yeah. it, it just protects our whole area. So it, the vendors are great. So you have to really, as a consumer, look at it as if you've been to Napa Valley and you've fallen in love to right. some extent, maybe deeply or maybe just casually. If you have some affinity for Napa Valley, this is what helps preserve it. Does. And protect it and promote it. So it you actually, by buying a bottle of that wine, you're participating. It's true. So speaking of a bottle of wine, your mm. Merlot is something mm. I fell in love with early mm. and often. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I think you make some of the best Merlots in the Valley as well as Sauvignon Blanc, and I don't say that lightly. Thank um, you. Merlot um, is actually, I think, the second most frequent planted variety. People often think it's Chardonnay. That's not accurate. Um, but I often say that good Merlot is great. Bad Merlot, you don't want to have anything to do with. And your Merlot has consistently been very good. So tell us about Thank that. Thank you. So appreciate all those compliments on the variety and uh, our White Lane Merlot. So Whitehall was, um, in the beginning, with the Finkelsteins, I think they were among the first wineries to make uh, Merlot as a standalone wine, standalone Mm -hmm. grape, Mm -hmm. uh, where it was mostly done for blending. Uh, Ours is really good, always has been. When we've got the winery, that's what we were most known for, and then we upped the Cabernet program. But uh, we still make a really good Merlot. Uh, Jason's done a nice job of even bringing it up to a higher level. Um, it starts with our really good grapes, which we grow in the St. Helena and the Rutherford Appalachian. We blend uh, 10% Cabernet into this. Some of our finest Cabernet that comes from uh, our Millennium Vineyard, which is just north of here. Mm-hmm. Kind of doesn't make sense to put that really expensive great cab into the Merlot, but the Merlot uh, retains its typicity, its varietal character, and the Cabernet enhances it. It gives it more body and backbone, but it still tastes like Merlot. Um, we don't fine or filter it, so I think our high quality grapes really shine in this. Um, and it's a great value. I think of your winery as someone that truly elevated the brand of the varietal in the context of Napa Valley. And, and I mean that sincerely because, again, early on, tasting your wines, this is what classic Merlot should taste like. Thank you. Um, and for those of you that have watched Sideways, <laughs> um, the reason that the main character, the protagonist, is saying, I'm not drinking any effing Merlot, is because that's his wife's favorite varietal. Right. And that's the scene that wound up on the cutting room floor. Um, it's true. 
That's true. I so there was not, never anything wrong with it. No, and then I forgot the gentleman's name who made the movie. Um, I think but, Alexander Payne is the, the, one of the producers. Yeah, I've never seen that movie. Yeah. That, that, that movie negatively impacted Merlot, like, instantly. Yes, and I just, I had to bring it out because, unfortunately, the power of, you know, Hollywood and sure. the massive appeal of catchphrases sure. has ruined something that should have never been associated with anything negative. And then uh, I think I heard him interviewed on uh, NPR years ago. Yeah. And the whole Merlot thing was whimsically added. Mm-hmm. And he actually apologized for it because it altered the marketplace. I know. It's just so unfortunate. We rode through that storm. And there is a silver lining or golden lining, whatever you want to say, is a lot of our Merlot competitors went away. And a lot of Merlot was ripped out. So we always do well with ours. And I kind of equate it to like the little engine that could. There's all this doubt upon it. Yeah. And it has a life of its own, and sales term, it pulls it pulls itself through. Yeah. And as a value for Napa, Merlot um, has a lot of the similar characteristics to Cabernet Sauvignon, and I think it tastes better in its youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of Cabernet, to my palate, is too big. Mm-hmm. It's can be not ours. Can be really high in alcohol, uh, over oaked. This is once again my palate, no right or wrong, and just too much. And then you compare or contrast that to our Merlot, and our Merlot is still rich and full bodied and lots of flavor from our great grapes, but it's very drinkable and drinkable in its youth. And think about this. I mean, yes, Cabernet is king, but the majority of wineries in Napa make a blend, and there's a reason for that. Sure. The first one, of course, being, I believe it was Phelps, his insignia that at the time was unprecedented. Um, and here we are, all those years later, most people don't realize they're drinking blends, they think they're drinking Cabernet. Right. And Merlot is such a crucial component of that. It's true. And uh, back to my mentor, Tom Shelton, that was his brainchild, the insignia. How about that? Yeah, and they made an unprecedented amount of it at the time. Yep. Um, yeah, that's that's what, still one of the top wines. It's yeah. a great one. Merlot has a way of rounding out the flavors and maybe breaking up the kind of the monolithic at times nature of the Cabernet grape. Yeah. So super important. Please pay attention. And this is so delicious. Um, and then Alana, that segues straight into the next wine. Yes. So we're um, people say this about us. I take it as a high compliment. We're like an iconic winery. Because we've been here a long time, mm-hmm. which adds a little pressure, and it's a great form of recognition. Um, we make our standalone varietals, and then we make a red blend. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of do it a little bit differently than other wineries. This is our Tre Leone. Mm-hmm. It's a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah. Um, the Syrah is an interesting component. I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah. Um, and Syrah is one of the few grapes that we do not grow. But um, our red blend, Tre Leone means um, uh, three lions. Mm-hmm. So our last name, Leonardini, it's pronounced Leonardini in Italian, but we, we're Americans, we say Leonardini. Um, so there are three generations of us. So 
Trey is three, so kind of a play on three generations. Mm -hmm. And then my dad, my son, and I are all named Tom. Don't laugh. So three Toms, three generations, three grapes, Cabernet Syrah. But it is priced at a more reasonable level than our like flagship winery, flagship mm -hmm. wine. So our red blend um, is one we make a lot of. We put a different label on it. I love all our labels. This one um, could be my favorite. That is really a dramatic Thanks. Uh, rendition. I'll show I you, like love the eyes. I'll show you a picture of the whole thing if you want. Yeah, but yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's of a lion. So yeah. it's the lion's face. It's got his mane going. And um, it's a red blend. Uh, Jason constructed this wine, blended it, put it together using our Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, mm -hmm. and then we buy some Syrah from South Napa right okay. off Big Ranch Road. So it's accessible, ready to drink, still has a dark color, body, flavor, nice influence of oak, but it's something ready to drink right now, and it's a really good price. So we launched this a few vintages ago, and it's flying. I could see why. The nose is pretty darn sexy, to say the least. I just I keep smelling it because you keep wanting to go back to it. Yeah, we're a big fan of this wine. Oh, yeah. But it was kind of fun, and this is uh, through our ability of growing our own grapes and having our own facility and winemaker, just the whole package, to Jason takes the helm on making this wine, but we all sit together and you do the blending help with together. the blend yeah. and try to come up with uh, what we want. We messed around a bit early on with this wine, which going towards some other red blends, yeah. which I can't name, that have really high alcohol and residual mm -hmm. sugar. So we made some mock blends of that, which we didn't care for. And... Um, went towards a more traditional way of making the wine is also if you look at the whole red blend category this is all napa valley fruit so it's not is, california it's yeah. not north coast it's not and those are all great areas too but it's not the napa valley this is a consumer paradise even unicorn territory in some ways because you're you. getting all this goodness you. from napa valley at a good price point yeah thank you for saying that and then when i'm out around the country doing my travels and i'll get a sharp wine buyer they say the same thing mm -hmm. it's like this is napa mm -hmm. and it's ready and it's got the great label and it's got the story and uh we do well with this wine it's nice i absolutely can see why and i so enjoyed it i mean clearly master blending at work because it sounds relatively simple you know there's three four whatever varietals sure. that you choose and then you just line them up there's a lot more to the story because a minuscule quantity of something can completely change it. It does. And then our winemaking team with Jason at the helm, of course, um, he does it all the time. And so for me, not only having his um, educational background, yeah. but having all his experience, he's worked with uh, David Ramey, who's the man. An icon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Philippe Melka. Another one. Who's another one. Both great guys, <laughs> personally and professionally. Uh, he's worked at different wineries, so and Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere. So in his young, youthful life, has worked um, lots of harvests. Absolutely. Um, but does a great job, and that blending comes in. So for me, I get palate fatigue. I yeah. can't 
differentiate all those wines? Well, he can and spends mm -hmm. an enormous amount of time putting it together. I think it's an interesting subject because a lot of consumers obviously are intimidated. It's a very nebulous territory. Right. And justly so. And the thing is, I think we both, if I may be so bold as to include you in this, believe that every palate has validity. So your palate is fundamentally the only deciding factor. Right. But what you describe right now is palatal memory at its finest. Yep. So when you train, meaning that you experience wines on a regular basis, you get to know them so much more intimately. Right. And that gives you the empowerment and the tools to put together something that's so palate-pleasing as what's in front of us. Mm -hmm. So both hold true. Consumer, at the end of the day, you get to decide. It is your playground. But the reason it came together so seemingly seamlessly is because someone has that training and that library of flavor profiles in their mind. Well said. Uh, another thing I could add to that that you eloquently voiced is um, we're making wine to sell yeah. and for the consumer to enjoy as well as us, but you have to recognize your own palate and then try to forecast what other people will like. Um, and then you throw in how will the wine progress and transform over time. Yeah. So you want to get your house style, and then how do you make that wine accessible when it's young and hold to those standards as time passes? So um, the job of the winemaker has some great fun aspects and romance and nostalgia and all that, but there's a hard chemistry side of it. Yeah. Then the work side of it, managing all the people and all the vineyards, and so it's a, it's a tough job. You're right. I mean, a lot of people look at the glamour side when at the wine dinner with a glass of wine in hand yep. and nice, you know, environment, yeah. kind of waxing poetic about it. But what's behind it is a, this is the tip of the iceberg. The rest of the business is really hard work. Yeah. And uh, we're lucky, once again, that my dad set up the environment with our vineyards and the winery and all our equipment and oak and then hiring a really good winemaker, Jason Moulton, of uh, kind of all, have all the pieces in place. It so. sounds like a complete, I guess, a piece of the puzzle, but what emerges is really very pleasurable experience. Yeah. And um, when people taste your wines, I think they don't consciously realize all the work and all the processes that went into it and all the right. strategies, both micro and macro. Sure. But at the end of the day, you're able to produce such a great quality price ratio across your portfolio. Appreciate that. Yeah, we're lucky that um, we've been doing it for a long time. We have a good uh, whole setup in place. There's a lot to be said about that. You kind of, you know, went through the transitions of California, like you described, with it, in Napa Valley specifically. And you've identified the key points that work, right? That, that are worth pursuing, worth fleshing out. And the consumer, at the end of the day, is the beneficiary. We love the consumers. Good. And that's why also um, I poured a lot of tastings around the country, uh, consumer and trade ones, and they're really fun because you can um, quickly get impressions of your wine, your price points, labels, people's instant reactions. And you alluded to this earlier, people will say, oh, I don't have a good palate, I don't know much about wine. Mm -hmm. And I really like the opinions those people give because they're not contrived. <laughs> it's just straight up what they think. If you're a consumer to walk around tasting and hopefully 
in front of your table and having, again, what a privilege to have a conversation directly with you. Sure. Um, what should they ask you? Um, so I'm back to being a big fan of the Napa Valley. I like to talk about our weather, our topography, mm -hmm. the historical perspective of Napa, and then how our family integrates into that. So, so I like to make yeah. it the whole story. Um, and then you can talk more details about the wine, where we grow the grapes, how the wine's made, how we age it, and that stuff. But it's kind of incorporating all of it. I just think it's such a great opportunity because you clearly show up a lot as we've learned. So if you're listening and you're in Texas or Arizona, Minnesota, and you happen to see Tom, take that this opportunity and like learn a little bit about what this is truly about. I think it's Thank you. so cool. Thank you. Um, and then uh, I always invite people to come to the winery uh -huh. and I hand out thousands of business cards and um, people come. And it's funny because I've changed my business card several times over the years and uh, <laughs> like a 15 year old one will pop up, which is great. And then you have an ambassador that's gonna go home and talk more about it. So it's not just the wine, it's the whole experience and that authenticity we're talking about. At the end of the day, it goes back to your initial comment about loving people. Right. And those interactions, they create the context that makes everything else so much better. Yeah, and then we have great people that work here. Some people have been here a long time. Lots of people come and go because there's so many wineries. But if you're people on the front lines, whether they're traveling, selling the wine, or working at the winery, you can make that a really memorable experience for visitors. Yes. And not all the wineries are as friendly as others. Yeah. And uh, we have this one lady, Sarah, that works for us. She's really nice, she has a big smile, she's friendly. People walk in the door and people always like look around and then Sarah's not the only one, but I, I like watching her do it. She's from Georgia, so she's very friendly and happy, she's great. So she smiles like, hi, how are you, come in. And then people let their guard down and they have a great experience. Just a smile, it's such a disarming. Smile and hello. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.